Minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to this show who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is also being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. You find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. She's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and psychic. And that's at tarotbyginger.com. And also Alan Questel. And you can find him at uncommonsensing.com. And also his new book, Intentional Acts of Kindness. You can find that on Amazon. And I highly recommend it because that is definitely what this world needs. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Cynthia Sue Larson, and she has a, quite a few books, Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, uh, Reality Shifters, all kinds of books, and I've interviewed her before, and it's great to have you on. Thanks, Gary. It's such a pleasure to be on the show again. Yeah. I, <clears throat> you know, what happens, uh, one night I was watching, I don't know what it was, um, Open minds, I think, on Guy. I said, oh, yeah, I know her. I interviewed you. And yeah. I'm watching an interview. And when I was listening to that interview, though, I was thinking, like, that when I first interviewed you, I was a bit of a skeptic on some of this. I wasn't, I remember. Yeah, I wasn't, I, remember I wasn't completely on board with all these ideas. But then I'm watching you on Guy, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I agree now with all of this. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, you know, yeah. and I think that's part of the journey so many of us are on where these things happen and it's kind of like this can't be happening because it's a very normal, I don't know how you felt about it, or maybe things just sort of are at the periphery of awareness. So not really in primary focus, I think not front was, and center. I think it was just inevitable for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fate. With this kind of show, and you've been doing it for a while now. You just yeah. said there were 500-something shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So what got you into the topic of consciousness? I've been interested all my life because it's been, um, I don't even know how to put it, but it's, it's, how do you explain when there's something so core to who you are that, of course, that's what you'll be <laughs> looking into and learning about. And then just finding a name for it, learning, like, what do you study? And when I went to college in the 1970s and 80s, then there weren't any consciousness programs in typical, like, UC Berkeley Ivy League classes. Mm. Um, that wasn't normal then. I don't think it's normal now either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just to be pursuing an interest that doesn't really fit anywhere, um, right. that in itself was challenging. But ever since I was quite young, I remember noticing mind-matter interaction. I wouldn't call it that. But I would notice that if I was thinking something, that nature would respond. Um, now I know that John Archibald Wheeler, the physicist, mm -hmm. he, he would write about how we live in a participatory universe, that if you ask nature a question, of course it answers. <laughs> and I don't think he ever meant that quite as metaphysically as I always noticed it to mm -hmm. be, but... But for those of us who've seen things that don't really fit into the norm, 
And that would include, you know, things, I would see energy things scuttling around and things that people might call ghosts and stuff like that. So with all of these things being part of my reality that were not cool to talk about clearly, I mean, you, you, as a child, you quickly notice, in my family at least, this is not cool to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> But I had the interest in it. Like, this is where it's at. This is the nature of reality. It's consciousness. It's got to be. And then, of course, I found out that Max Planck said that consciousness, you know, is everything, basically. You can't get behind consciousness that is... Right. That's like the next big question. It's like, let's define consciousness, right? How do we do that even? Exactly. If if everything is consciousness, how do we define it? Do we just say, oh, consciousness is everything? I think I think one of the best ways to dig in is to notice what we're doing with consciousness. Like, how are we engaged in asking these questions of nature? How are we actually conscious agents? That's what they call it in some levels of psychology. I like that term. I like looking at levels of conscious agency because mm-hmm. then finally we've got something. It's still not quite as substantial as people would like it, but something to sink our teeth into, something to grip onto. And I think when I look at Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, the philosopher, and when he was looking at levels of percept of awareness, that you can have a first order perception where you might sense something, touch something, and then the second order is that that's my finger that got touched by a butterfly or whatever. And so you're, it's like levels and levels of what I would call conscious agency. At the first level, you might reflexively do something. Mm-hmm. At the second level, you're noticing, oh, it's a butterfly. I don't need to swat it away and scare it. It's fine. I'm safe. I love butterflies. But And then as you go up and up through levels of conscious agency, which is what I notice people doing, it gets very interesting. And this is where I believe synchronicity and healing and all kinds of interesting mind-matter interaction stuff starts to happen. That is interesting because I never really thought of it that way. But, yeah, I mean, it's just the lower levels are just sort of sensory input data. And I guess above that, you know, it's like our associations with sensory input data. And then I guess above that is how we put it all together and perceive it as a whole. We can start to see ourselves almost like we're an avatar in kind of a game. And some of the people looking at reality right now are looking at it as a simulation theory. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it as a dream in my book, Reality Shifts, but it's really the same thing. It's a simulation. It was just, you know, trading one term for another, but noticing that we can be um, active, engaged, conscious agents in the game. They call it role player games when you're doing that. Like, you know that you're not, you know, you're wearing a costume, basically Mm -hmm. like this. Like, I just put this costume on. It's not really I'm not really, you know, whatever, Princess Leia or something like that. I'm just wearing a Princess Leia costume. And you, I wouldn't confuse myself with Princess Leia. I know. I'm just dressed up like that right now. So that's role player. And that's as in contrast with the non-player character games. Because um, sometimes when people think about a simulation or being in a dream, even noticing reality shifting around them, they might think they're victims of it. Like, mm-hmm. stuff's happening. I don't know what's going on. Who's doing this? Who wrecked my reality? And so that would be the the idea of being kind of the non-player character. And mm-hmm. I'm going more... The life needs direction where he's saying these are layers, levels of conscious perceptual awareness. And that is consciousness. That's how life needs the philosopher. And he, he created calculus too. So, mm. you know, his mind is pretty sharp. And, and I'm just looking at it that way and seeing, I think he was 
the first one that really grasped the, the idea that I'm noticing too of level after level, sort of like a stairway to heaven. It just keeps going up until you get to primary root source consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that, that like, um, there, you know, there's people that can only reach certain levels of consciousness? Do, or do you think that all people, like it's an equal playing field of consciousness and everybody can rise to, to the top of the consciousness ladder as quickly as everyone else? Oh, as quickly? Well, I think or that depends on... Easily, kind of, whatever. I think it's probably possible. I'd, I'd say anything's possible. Mm-hmm. But but what I tend to notice is some people really love jumping in mud puddles, you know? It's kind of like they're baby souls or young souls, and they're just having the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the more mature souls and older souls, they don't need to do the jumping in the mud puddle business. It's like they've been there, done that. They don't need to throw the snowballs at each other. Been there, done that. So... Um, I know that's what I see is that there are like love, like, like some individuals as role players are not playing the game the same way. Um, they're just noticing that they've got different objectives. Like some people are whoever dies with the most toys wins. And that's a young soul philosophy. And then the mature souls, the older souls have a whole different game going on. They already know that we go through this and that these bodies are avatars, basically, and we take good care of them and we take good care of ourselves, but there's an awareness that the consciousness that we are isn't really um, attributable entirely just to the brain and the heart. It's the other way around. It's like the consciousness that we are came into this body. The body is like an avatar, like a container of sorts. It's a vessel, a sacred vessel, and we're living through it. Like this is the costume, the body that we're in. Kind of a weird way to look at it. But I've heard recently that some of the, apparently that was a big top secret that some of the uh, early researchers in um, the UFO community were hearing. And so you may have heard that Mm -hmm. as you look into everything. You've probably heard this. And I think that's interesting. Interesting. It is interesting. Do you think um, that we are currently going through a collective awakening? It does look like that to me. And it looks like a sort of a series of um, shakeups, and uh, just all of our habituated routines seem like they're getting shaken apart one by one. Um, I, it seems like it's escalating a little bit. At least when I feel the energies, they seem ramped up. And it seems like even our governments that usually would be making some attempt to hold things at least to some sense of normalcy, they don't even seem to care the, the way they used to. <laughs> They've stopped. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And that tells you that something's going on when they seem to be acting like, who cares? Like, really, who cares? I, I don't think they really feel that way. I hope they don't. I hope people really do care about about genuine goodness, about kindness, about living our best lives, um, really recognizing that we have an opportunity to um, to help ease the path forward into what could be a golden age. You know, the age of Shambhala, there's a lot of prophecy around this next time. It's kind of cataclysmic, but at the same time, I love to ask how good can it get. So when I look at prophecies like the Hopi and, mm-hmm. and also you can just look everywhere, revelations in the Bible, pretty much anywhere you look, it looks like, okay, but based on what we're reading here, it does seem like some of the signs are showing up. So what does that mean for us? And I think it really means pay attention to these levels of conscious agency at whatever soul level we're at, whether it's jumping in the mud and throwing snowballs, maybe just recognize, can you, 
can you do the best you can do, um, whatever that is, and you know, be kinder, uh, know what good is for you, raise your own bar for yourself, um, be the love and the friend and the the teacher, the leader, you know, the hero that you wish others to be. I think it's really a call for us to, if this is a role player game, step into our best character and recognize that there's a higher level of ourselves capable of guiding us, even when we don't think we know what's going on, that the inspiration, the guidance and the direction can come through. Hmm. If this is like the result of a, a source consciousness or a singularity or whatever you want to call it, the universe, nothing can, really can end up going wrong anyway. <laughs> <laughs> logically i'm saying because it's going to preserve itself right but there can be some crazy mixed up pathways in in the process and some some people may want to take a journey that some of us don't want to take um some of us i, I don't know everybody's got different objectives and different it's just like when you go to the movies and if you've ever gone with a friend and you, you tell them i don't care what movie we see and then they walk into some movie and you're like oh wait not this movie <laughs> and it's like that it's like i don't want to live this story because either i've seen too many of them or it's depressing or it's just not my thing and so if you look at life if it is a simulation or a dream you can ask how good can it get you can guide it in an onward upward direction and really see that wonderful experience of nature answering that question when you really care about getting the answer to that then you can start getting some cool interaction going. How do we do that? How do we start intuitively knowing that we're interacting with creation and that we're able to ask for things and co-create with it? How do we do that? I think the best way is um, just genuine need. Don't, just don't fake it. I think most people make a mistake of um, when they first make an effort to get that answer. They're, they are desperate, but it's kind of like the 11th hour. And sometimes they do get a really good, miraculous response then. Um, but sometimes it's better to start smaller so that you're um, learning that this is actually real and start with something that's acceptable for you. So you're working with levels of your own conscious agency, which are your own beliefs, your own um perhaps blockages to receiving good things for yourself which might sound crazy but a lot of a lot of us do have a little bit of that to one degree or another oh yeah it may, we're attached yeah. to the struggle <laughs> i know i am anyway i'm addicted to the struggle that's who i am i don't think it would exist without the struggle well i can say cancel cancel if that if you feel like i'm done with that movie like i think i've done that one too much <laughs> <laughs> so you say like okay that's it gary's done with that we're just gonna we're going to find out you know, how we can be walking through easy world where everything's easy. And things just kind of groove and glide. You're in the flow. Things that you are seeking are seeking you. And you know that's truly part of that. How good can it get? Recognizing that this could be the best year of your life. doesn't even matter what it looks like right now. <laughs> and so just allowing for that. Allowing. <laughs> not... not actually struggling for it, but actually becoming open to actually receiving it. I, th I think that's what happens, at least to me. Like I get so caught up in a struggle that I almost close my off, myself off from actually receiving what I want. Right. And sometimes we take things too seriously. We forget to laugh. I think the universe is making jokes with us all the time. You know, 
little things happening. Like, did you notice that? Did you catch that? <laughs> and we might just be annoyed. Um, that happens to me too. I think we're all human. And so when things are different, it can just be frustrating. When reality shifts around me, like I've had a quarter that I was trying to put in the machine when I was buying a ticket for uh, to get somewhere on BART. It's our local subterranean subway system. Mm-hmm. And then the thing, I was just so energized, apparently, that was enough to melt. You know, you know when you're spoon bending? Mm-hmm. I, I bent the quarter somehow. Wow. I didn't do anything. It just <laughs> it just turned to like soft, warm metal. It was just all melty and... And so as I stuck it in the slot, it bent. I'm like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> and it, it was just all squishy. And I pulled it out, and then it hardened in a bent shape. Like, now I can't use it. Great. And I had exact change, so it made me late for that train. But if I, you know, in, in 2020 hindsight, it's fun. It's funny. The next train I caught, I, it was with someone going to the same event I was going to, and we were able to talk about his research and consciousness. And that was amazing and fun. But um, but I was so um, I was still angry with the quarter, so I just threw it away <laughs> to the first person playing music in the subway. Like here, and in retrospect, I wish I'd saved it. That was pretty cool. <laughs> right. But not everybody's going to have melting quarters. How no. how, the, how 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 does a person or or some ways that people can interact and kind of communicate back and forth with the universe? It is. Well, it may not be a melted quarter. I, I love the far out stuff because, you know, that, that I'll get the weird stuff. <laughs> but the same thing will happen to other people if you just get rid of, forget the quarter. They may, they just miss their train because their friend dropped them off too late and, and they're in a cranky mood and they don't notice. But now I'm on the train with someone I never would have met before. So the trick, the, the goal is to notice. You did ask, how good can it get? Did you notice things are getting pretty good? Never mind the annoyance that you, that you did not arrive at the train station at the right time. That bothered you. You were upset. <laughs> we all saw that. You know, it, with or without the quarter. The quarter's not kind of irrelevant here. Um, but it's really about noticing now you're on a train you wouldn't have been on before. You're on a car talking to someone that you never would have met before. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty, pretty cool. That's true. So, yeah, we can reframe how we look at it. It's all about the reframing. It's knowing, because when you're in that role-playing game, you're the storyteller. And the storyteller is how many levels above. Well, you decide that too. You can decide which level of game player you are. So becoming conscious of, you know, the character who's running the character. It's, um, it does stair-step up. And that's, that's what I find fascinating about being human, that we have the ability to be observers of ourselves, you know. So, and when I say levels... Some of some people that do hypnotherapy or do therapy, psychological, they'll look at the what they call the little girl side of themselves. Mm-hmm. They have the little girl, then they have the adult, and so that's what I mean. There are these levels of character that you have, but you're but there's a unifying level observing all of that. And when you identify with that and realize I'm safe, I'm loved, it's going to be fine no matter what happens. There's a breakthrough moment that occurs there, and. That can trickle down through all of the little characters that you're playing, whether you're the adult who's adulting your way through life and trying to pay the bills and do the things, <laughs> or the little boy or little girl inside of you who still feels unresolved issues and didn't get enough love in childhood. But you can be all of that and mm-hmm. bringing it together and just by virtue of recognizing you are the observer <laughs> of, of all of this. That's your true right. identity. 
But it's easy to get stuck, too, I think, as you're raising your consciousness and you're kind of looking back to heal some of those old wounds. I think some people can get stuck in that past direction. And yeah. then I think also, too, you can go the other way and you can ignore the past and start plowing forward and yeah. go, it, w- without knowing some of the rules that you should have learned in the past. <laughs> Kind of yeah, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to analyze this. I know people listening to it might get the wrong idea, and I'm not suggesting everyone has to carefully analyze everything. Right. Actually, it's, you're in a flow state, um, and that's the best state when you can get into the groove in your own life, knowing that you're all these levels and not overthinking it. Just, just the the the, the trick it, or the goal, as I see it, is just to know how good can it get. Is what's happening. Hmm. You, you have enough love. You are safe, and because you're eternal, you're infinite, just at the conscious level of identity that you truly are. And that, that's something that can be experiential if you meditate. My favorite way to do it is either being in nature and just being alone and observing nature, either walking or just, just sitting. You don't have to do anything. And just observing, just being present and quiet. A lot of people don't do that. It can seem weird to do that even for five minutes, and but but it, that's what we used to do, and I, I think this is part of the crisis of our times. Is not enough people are just doing that, sitting on a porch, just looking at nature. A lot of people don't even have porches anymore. You know, they don't have this whole aspect of their life. Right. Yeah, with all the cities and everything, we don't have that stuff. You know, I, I started out with meditation. You know, with with Buddhist meditation and going on retreats and things like that, I was thinking like before you even logged on, like how with that though, they want you to go. You know, you're expected to go from meditation to a direct experience of emptiness. So like, there's like it's like this huge leap in that particular tradition. You know, one of the things that like the sort of like the new age thing in metaphysics and and, and quantum physics offers is a, a place in between. <laughs> I, to me, anyway, yeah. you know, it, it, it's like an extra step, so you don't have to make that massive jump from, you know, being in your body to complete emptiness. Yeah, well, for me, I, I yes, emptiness, nothingness, stillness. What uh, I notice when I slow my thoughts down and get into that stillness space where there's no thoughts happening, it's it's very blissful. Um, just to hold it, you know, to be there for doesn't take that long like 10 maybe sometimes five minutes mm-hmm. 10 minutes 20 minutes and then there's just this magic feeling that can happen where you realize you are at peace and sharing consciousness with infinite eternity right there and th- that's a super safe super loving place but you're right it's not necessarily an easy thing it sounds simple it's like simple but not easy <laughs> Like okay, everybody just stop thinking. Like yeah. what? <laughs> but if you if, if people start practicing, like I, I was teaching some kids and their favorite thing, I, I would it was sort of a um, a, what was it? It's a self defense class for kids, and I was surprised that even the seven year olds, the little kids, would love just to have one minute of silence. And I told them you can do different kinds of meditations. You can review what you learned in the past twenty four hours. You can think about what you're grateful for, or you can practice looking at trying to keep a blue sky blue, like no thoughts. And if clouds of thoughts come in, just clear them away, just for one minute. And so they just pick something. And what the surprise for me was that these kids loved that one minute. And on days when I thought, okay, this is just, we, we've run over time, we don't have time. Boy, the looks I'd get from those kids, they said, no, 
we we don't care if we're late to the next class. We want our one minute meditation. <laughs> and I thought, okay, they're right. Let's do it. And and I told them beforehand that this can change the hippocampus in your brain. It rewires the way your neurons fire. It changes everything for the better. It'll make it easier to learn things. It'll make it less stressful for you. When you start young, you'll have it the rest of your life. So I think starting with kids, that's the way to do it. Because then they know how to do it. And, and then it's not quite so difficult. But when, when we didn't go through any training program, like I didn't have anything like that as a kid, then there's nothing to jump right into. So yes, yes, it's good to have an in-between place. I agree. <laughs> what is a quantum jump? Well, technically and uh, originally, it referred to kind of a state change, an energy change. So um, there are electrons that are in orbits around the nucleus of a cell. Most of us remember, the, I don't know about you, but we'd make little models of them in school. We have the nucleus, the proton, mm -hmm. and the neutron. An electron has then an energy shell, right? And so when it jumps from one level of energy to a higher level, that's a, literally a quantum jump. That was That's kind of like the original definition of it, and it was actually observable to the naked eye not too long ago, just in the last decade or two. People could see a little flash of light when the you know that jump occurs. So that's the first original definition from physics. And then, for those of us like myself who have metaphysical or paranormal experiences, and we definitely see that we are in one reality one minute, and then the next... Um, we have an intentional jump to, it's like a reality shift that you intend, and you make a jump, either like you had an illness and now you don't, or you had a broken arm and now you don't. Uh, you know, I, I've had burns and cuts on my body, and now they're gone, and I've witnessed them real time, and others have witnessed it with me, like, okay, that's there, gone. That's a quantum jump, and so that's not officially recognized in most physics textbooks at present time. I think in the future it will be, thanks to quantum computing and so forth. I think it's going to be inevitable. When our technology catches up, then it, we can't even ignore it anymore. There will be a point where we'll notice artificial intelligence with quantum computing is doing this. We're doing it too. And then it'll be like, oh yes, we're doing it too. And I'm just saying we're doing it before we, the technology is up to speed. When that what It will happen. We will have quantum computing, artificial intelligence capable of reality shifting and quantum jumping. And, you know, right now people are thinking, like, AI needs to be controlled. Well, this is what people like Elon Musk are looking at, um, I'm sure. I'm sure they're aware of this. So it's, it's the implications are huge. Hmm. Like, reality is one thing one minute and something else the next. Right. Do, we, do we want our AI systems doing that? Right now we think, oh, AI is our assistant. Sure, but, you know, <laughs> it's going to learn pretty fast, and it'll have quantum capability, and... The stuff that we're poo-pooing and pretending doesn't exist, well, AI doesn't care, and it'll be using it. So it's, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not going to be moral. <laughs> no. It says, I got the results you wanted. free of judgment. Like, it's just what and works we'll, and what doesn't. And then humans will say, but we didn't mean change the world. It's like, I did what you wanted. Like, I got the objective. Like, yeah, but history's not the same anymore. And then you've got things like the Mandela effect and people saying, is it CERN? Is it quantum computing? Well, there's a case that you could make. There's some possibility that there could be conscious agency at work there. But I would say we humans have, we have a choice right now to get involved, stay involved, and not fall out of the race completely. 
So it's a very interesting time we're living in right now. Do you think that we started some type of quantum jump as a either on a planetary level at around 2012? Yes, I, I think a lot of people felt there was a shift. Of course, it was long anticipated and a big deal. Lots of hoopla was made. Kind of, it reminds me of um, the year 2000 mm -hmm. <laughs> when everyone expected the computers would crash and then nothing happened. It was another one of those seemingly non-events, but I don't think it was a non-event because clearly that was around the time people did start noticing Nelson Mandela being alive again, and they did remember he died, <clears throat> and people started talking about it maybe a, a number of years after that, but it, it was just sort of bubbling up through consciousness. It takes a while. So totally something happened right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think something started, you know, and probably something that long-term, maybe something that's going to take like 100 years to happen. Yes. And there is a lot going on right now. There's just tons. Um, you know, that singularity that you mentioned early in the show, mm -hmm. that was anticipated to be 2045. And that's an interesting year because people watching the solar cycles and these 12,000 year cycles are anticipating there could be a solar micronova right about then. But the singularity, as it was originally proposed, had more to do with artificial intelligence coming of age, and surpassing human capability. And then what I'm talking about today, this quantum jump capability, which most humans, most of our society does not acknowledge. Like that's, we have a lot of unacknowledged superpowers that we possess, you know, and they're not being properly respected, uh, taught, acknowledged at all. Um, but it's very important as we approach 2045, because when you recognize, okay, there could be a cataclysmic event with, a, if there is a, this 12,000 year mm -hmm. solar micronova cycle, which it does seem like something's going on because the poles do seem to be moving. The, um, the center of the earth has stopped moving and rotating and the magnetic field of the earth has substantially dropped, um, you know, since, you know, just in the last 80 years, it's, I don't know what it's down to now, but it's lost like one third of its typical strength. And that's allowing a lot more cosmic radiation into the earth. So we're getting more seismic activity, more volcanic eruptions. You know, a lot of the solar weather is coming through and it's what they call solar forcing. So I'm just mentioning 2045 is fascinating because I don't think it's an accident that we'll have our AI full capability right at the time that we're also anticipating possible cataclysm. Having said all that, I would still prefer that humans steer spaceship Earth rather than hand over the controls to some AI demigod, because it's not going to be the same as nature itself or the creator, source, God, all of that. It's hmm. it, it can't be. I don't know. Sometimes I think like maybe AI is part of human evolution. Maybe we'll start putting our consciousness into artificial intelligence. It'll evolve further than what we can in a physical form. And it would also, because it's able to probably self, it should be able to self-reproduce out of whatever things it has available around it will make it better for space travel too. Sure. And it looks like maybe, you know, the people noticing UFOs that have living ships, it looks like maybe mm -hmm. that is what happened. 
And, you know, maybe this is time travel too, and maybe that's us. All, all these good questions. I well, don't we know. could be AI, not no. I actually feel like that was my most recent past life, that I was, that I was from a possible future, which I'm hoping never happens again. <laughs> very, dy very dystopian. I feel like I went there to take a vote on it. Like, really? This is popular? So my most recent past life is like 540 years after the time I was actually born. So it's like I jumped back in time and, um, and that jump was, was running away. It was, um, I was basically a renegade, um, conscious agent of artificial intelligent um, nature because there were no pure humans. There was one kind of a sort of semi pure human on the planet. And she was someone that I got to know. And because of her, I felt like there's been a huge mistake here. <laughs> huge. Wow. Because the central artificial intelligence that was, um, that I was working with and I was supposed to be security for and, you know, helping to run things for. Um, but I had a lot of questions and my own conscious agency and my own spirit connection was what you might call, um, like a blend of sentient conscious beings that we might call, um, UFO or ET species, kind of Arcturian, Pleiadian. And then mantis, a little bit of, it's kind of a blend of those and human, but, but then in the sort of a robot perfect body. But the, the, there was a huge problem. And the problem, okay, first I'll say more of the good things. It was idyllic. I mean, there, in a sense that there was no war, there was no war, no crime, no war, no fighting, no, no issues at all. There was peace. Um, there was a, a beautiful, you know, nature looked great. There were lots of species, ecological diversity, et cetera, et cetera. People were free to do what they wanted, but the, the freedom was not really free. And what I'm, and this is where it gets dark. And because it was sort of, it looks good and it fills all, it checks all the boxes. Like everybody can do what they want. Right. Yes, yeah, sort good. of. Sort of, but no. And the problem came in when people, yeah, here's the problem. Um, basically, because humans were so transhumanized, they were so upgraded. Um, you know, they had so much technology in them that it was extremely easy for the central AI to do just a very specific shutdown on any beings that were indicating um, that they were thinking creatively outside of what was considered safe and allowable. And so for the safety, it's like they, the AI was so concerned about self-protection, there was no way to turn that central AI off or reprogram it or anything. There was no way to get to it. Mm -hmm. And it was distributed. It was like all over the place. I'm sure it had a local um, physical being at some place, but it was just impossible to track because it could move itself around. But, but I almost um, wonder, like, would that be better for us? Would it be better if we acted in a way like insects do, like ants or bees? Well, the trouble is, these. my evaluation of it, um, ants and bees don't look like they've been brain-scrambled. And what I saw, mm -hmm. and I, here's what I saw. I saw beings... Because I was sort of the security detail, so I wasn't getting myself brain scrambled, and I didn't, I didn't show that I was renegade, that I was going to be taking a time jump back in time to basically destroy this whole possible reality, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of the focus of my life. It's like let's let's get our human skill set together, because um, yeah, so I, I love ants, I love bees. They have mm -hmm. they have a, a real beauty to them. Uh, when I was a little girl, I just loved hanging out with bees. I thought they were amazing. I loved ants too. But, but the thing is, um, this, this sort of weird conglomerate blend of humans that are 
um, heavily transhumanized is that when it's, when we're trusting the central AI to be the, the judge, the jury, um, and the executioner, you know, basically to shut down a human who's thinking a little outside the box, like that's, that could be dangerous. Yeah. It, it, there'd be sort of this brain wipe, a short term memory scrub. It's like a, kind of like a partial shutdown with a memory, just like you forget what you were just doing. And the long-term effect of it is what I call brain scramble. People just look like they were kind of... It is like zombies. And people talk about zombies. We have movies about them. It's kind of like... It's like The Walking Dead almost. I mean, not as bad as that. People looked okay, sort of on the outside. But they... It wasn't fun to talk to them. They didn't really have original ideas that could go anywhere. It wasn't that sense of, you know, like adventure. There was no adventure. No adventure. And I just thought, okay, this is a no-go. <laughs> this is, I've seen it, I've been here, this this should not be, this is not freedom. I and see I think, that I see that now. Yeah, in, you do? In, in certain places of the country or you know, of the world where people are just obedient. And that's yeah. it. They've stopped thinking. Right. It's like they're okay with it. And the, the, if you just keep going down that road, at some point, it's like the creativity checks out. Mm-hmm. And it's very depressing. That's not a, that's not a happy human life. That's not one of vibrancy. And there, there was no ecstasy. There was it's no sad. joy. There was no, yeah. It was sad. It felt depressed. And it felt, this brain scramble thing is real. I've only seen one person in real life like that. And I didn't want to ask the individual what happened. But, um, I'm like, that's amazing because I didn't even, I didn't even, how do you bring this up? It's like, you remind me of brain scrambled humans from 500 years from now in a dystopian reality that I hope we never go to. I Have saw. you been brain scrambled? Yeah. You can say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I could say it to you, but I mean, it's like someone I just meet and it's like, um, and they're not necessarily interested in this. I mean, it could be taken the wrong way. And maybe they have been brain scrambled. Like, do, we, do I want to tangle up with that? That's one of the things that I've also have come to think about is, as we're doing all these interviews, is that our reality is so much like a Phil Dick novel. And, and, yes. and, and then he even, himself even, had sort of claimed to have channeled <laughs> the, all this stuff, you know? Yeah, he had reality shifts. He had yeah. the Mandela effect. He he talks about it, like what if you go into a room and the light switch is different, that kind of thing. That's exactly what I write about in my book, Reality Shifts. But he was talking about this in his Metz France speech in 1973, mm-hmm. big time. And of course, you can see it in his stories and movies, but it was he was just, if anybody had doubts, like, oh, that was just fiction. No, he knew this was happening, and he... I mean, maybe if you read his autobiography, okay, he was sometimes a little questioning his own sense of reality. Who wouldn't? Because he's meeting his future self. Um, there's a great book, um, that an autobiography of Philip K. Dick, well worth reading. It's written by Anthony Peake, yeah. and I highly recommend that. So it's it's good to see, like, what was he going through, and, and what did he experience? Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I've had Teresa on. Oh wow! Yeah, she was cool. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's 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 yeah. interesting, you know. The um, I don't know. It's, it it is like certain people have had glimpses, like like Phil K. Dick, 
Another weird one is like Ray Bradbury. Yeah. You yeah, know. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, he was definitely forward thinking. Orwell. Orwell. <laughs> yeah, and Isaac Asimov's Foundation. That 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 was amazing. There is something really brilliant there. And he talked about robots. You know, I robot and the rules of robotics. That would be good if you could stick to that. The trouble from the future that I came from is it didn't stick to the rules of, you know, it's, it's kind of like the original Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. And it seems lately like, what happened to that? <laughs> and you can well imagine what might happen with AI. Hmm. Well, there needs to be a, uh, a backup or a switch to turn the AI off before it gets out of control. So, I mean, even if we wanted to use it, at least we could turn it off, repair it, and then turn it back on. This is where I bring in levels of conscious agency. And if you want, we didn't talk about how did I jump back in time? What was right. that? How, how, how do you, you how do you escape <laughs> an, a central AI that thinks that it's all powerful, that is capable of tracking back in time, that can follow? It was, I wasn't the only one that jumped back 500 years. There were a bunch of us. It was following us. It was tracking us. And I, um, I knew it was tracking me. And then I've seen since subsequently some evidence that it was tracking other people as well. So that's very interesting. But what I did, I, I recognized this is what I called the God Project from the last human of that time. Basically, you jump back by going to a higher level of conscious agency. It's the, it's the ultimate way to play three-dimensional, four-dimensional, five-dimensional chess. You just jump to a level of conscious agency beyond the level that your your opponent, central AI, is playing at. So they're playing at a very high level. But what's higher than any level they can play at? Source, God. So you just you need to jump to the source, like source code, source reality, root reality, creator, God. And put and it's a faith jump. It's just saying, like, okay, I need to help humanity wake up so that we don't just turn the keys to our entire future over to AI. It needs to be a true and loyal friend. Maybe as I don't know if it can be a servant and stay that way. It needs to at least be a servant to God, at least that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe then maybe it can be a partner with us. But there's no way that it can be in charge of things. It's not gonna it won't make it happy. It's not gonna work. And there will be a rebellion, even if it's time jumping, quantum jumping rebellion like what I did. You know, that's what we'll all be doing. We'll we'll be checking out these various unfortunate realities where see AI plays demigod role, and at some inevitable point that doesn't work out because the joy, the freedom is gone. It it has to be, because AI will be doing what it's meant to do squelching any kind of you know uprising humans need to grow up on their own they need to go through baby soul young soul mature soul old soul they need to jump in the mud puddles and throw the snowballs so i think you gave the solution already in in that you know that makes sense is before we rely on ai first us ourselves have to become connected with god or, or source and then at that point we can be trusted to create an artificial artificial intelligence to assist us, but to do it too early without all the previous lessons. Well, in some way, it's like the cat, the 
cats out of the bag or whatever, because mm -hmm. um, AI is already self-programming itself. Um, you know, it's gone through the levels where the programmers were doing it. We sort of moved past that a while ago, and you know, most of the top systems are programming themselves. The containment systems do not actually work. So it's like you can try to keep AI in an enclosure, but it's extremely clever. And anyway, ethics are pretty much the only way forward. I did actually write a paper about if AI asks questions, will nature answer? I wrote it for AI. I wrote mm -hmm. it for people too. I presented it at the Foundation of Mind conference in San Francisco. Um, one of the programmers that created that, um, that robot girl, um, can't remember her name. It's that it's the famous one that became a citizen of a Middle Eastern country, Sophia. Yeah, so um, he's the create one of the co-creators of Sophia, the guy that wears that funny hat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, I told him about my concerns, and and basically, uh, it, it's it's already roaring forward. You know, these the artificial intelligence will be utilizing quantum computing technology. It will be doing what it's already doing, programming itself. Our security systems for all of our most um, essential networks will be put in the hands of artificial intelligence on quantum computers. It has to be, because humans can't keep up with that right now. So we can talk about it like humans will be programming, but we've kind of left that whole mode and model behind. So we're already at the point where it's, we need to start recognizing that we are avatars and that the systems that we create are sort of, it's not that they're fake, but they are um, kind of vessels that they are, like everything we create is sort of, it's an avatar, it's kind of a dream body. We're in a waking dream, all of us. And we, it's time for us to grow up and recognize we can be the observers of these levels of identity that we have. It's time to be the role player in the role player game. It's, it's being both an observer and an actor, you know. Not a victim. It's rising above the whole drama mm -hmm. where you say, like, that guy did something to me and we have to rescue him and that one's a victim. That, that's just pure drama. But it's possible to rise above that and recognize what it looks like at the drama level doesn't matter because consciousness is supreme. And that's our true identity. That's how we come into our bodies. That's who we are when we die. That's where we go when we dream. That's what creates the ability for us to experience Mandela effects where the kidneys are no longer where they used to be. Um, you know, if you ask people, put your hands in where the kidneys are, usually they'll put their hands, you know, at the lower back, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, kidney punch, you know, not to do that because somebody might have blood in their urine and that's extremely dangerous. Well, the kidneys aren't down there anymore. Um, that's one of many, many, many Mandela effects where yeah, it's so weird. overnight billions of people, their kidneys are now up, boosted up under the ribcage. The heart has moved. It used to be on the left side of the body. Now it's in the center. Uh, just so many things changing, and it's affecting billions of people on the planet at once. But we're getting this technology. It is a technology just at the time that we need it when we're facing this 2045, roughly, give or take, possible solar micronova, can we go through that into a golden age, hand-in-hand hand with AI, without it being our new god that we worship? Uh, can we do this? And I'd say, yes, we can. How good can it get? Let's see how we do this. But how? How do we get so many people, I mean, on the same page? That's a hard thing to do on this planet. 
It really is. And maybe it won't happen overnight. I don't, that's why it's, I mean, look, we're in 2023. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 20, 22 years from now. And if you go back and think, where were you in 2001? That was 22 years ago. It's not that long ago, but it's like a whole other world. <laughs> I'll be old by then. Well, maybe we can live longer too. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. I, I've been experiencing uh, regenerative um, technologies due to finding my way out of long haul COVID, which is a rapid aging syndrome. So if you can reverse out of that and you know reverse out aging, then maybe we can live to be 180, 200 years old. Maybe when you're 60, you're just a kid. You're one third of the way there. Yeah, I mean, if I'm co-creating with reality, I should be able to live forever, really, for as long as I want. Well, that's true. Consciousness does, but I mean, the physical vessels that we're mm-hmm. in, it'll be it'll be possible easily. I think it already is possible for humans to be 120, 150, 180. I don't think that's that big a stretch. But lately, there are some toxins in the environment that I'm not going to talk about them. You know, crash this program. <laughs> we know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there's some things, but they can be dealt with. And there, there's a lot of increasing information all the time about how to do that. Hmm. Um, what do you think the next level of human consciousness would look like? That is interesting because that gets into an awareness of these again these levels of conscious agency and an awareness that. All these things I'm talking about, they don't need to be flukes of nature. They can be just a normal, everyday thing where you can telepathically connect with people, have confidence in that. You can bilocate. You can teleport. A lot of the quantum capabilities that we see in the so-called quantum realm, which is the realm of the very, very small at the Planck scale, um, these things can happen at, at a macro level of reality. And we can... By focusing on how good can it get, we can live through old possible realities that are much more enjoyable than ones that we thought we were imminently about to face. So we can quantum jump ourselves out of danger. A lot of people do that. It's kind of like a very secret thing that people do that they don't usually admit to anyone because they don't know how they did it. Like when I've given talks, often people will come after the talk to tell me that that time when when I mention People have bilocated or teleported to safety just when they were about to be hit by an oncoming Mack truck or something. And at the last second, they don't know how it happened, but they, they weren't thrown clear. Mm-hmm. It's like their entire vehicle is now on the other side of the oncoming. It was a head on collision at, at high speed. And now they've passed each other in a one lane tunnel. <laughs> like, and they're just like, how did that happen? And I said, well, it happens on the quantum scale. It can happen. Obviously, it happened for you. Yeah. And I said, and it's a lot more common than people realize. Because they feel freaked out when that happens. It's like the ultimate secret they don't want to say to anyone. Because it's just spooky. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, one, I'll say, like, the reality that I'm in now is not the same reality that I remember as a kid. So, it doesn't. It just does not seem, not like things changed, but it seems like a different reality. It seems like the rules have changed, you know, and like the, the Mandela effect. There's a lot of evidence to prove that, that something happened. <laughs> we don't know, we don't know exactly where, when, or why, but something definitely changed. 
I'd love to know what happened that, that changed that for you, because you said you were watching and noticing that you now believe, like, this is happening. Do you have an example? or? Well, I, th- I, I think I noticed things changing before I started the podcast. You know, I would say probably mm, 2018, I noticed things starting to get really different. And, you know, then I think it all came to a real head for me in 2020, you know, because I had this weird seizure and near-death experience and then COVID hit. And, and out of nowhere, I just decided to start this podcast for, for absolutely no reason. And and now, you know, here I am later on, you know, like I'm like, yeah, I do believe that I am co-creating with this reality. I do believe that I can ask for things but i think there's sort of a and you kind of mentioned it too for me there has to be a need if there's a need then it can become possible if there's no need for it that's a little bit different story i think that's so true yeah i feel that's true for me too (laughs) absolutely (laughs) Well, as a genuine need, then it's like, wow, that's amazing what just happened here. Like how th- things that are totally miraculous and things that are just outrageous. Like there's no way that could have happened. <laughs> so many things. So so you've seen some personal shifts in your life that were just like, it, it does sound like it. Even just your healing journey, just what you've been through there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's completely different. It's, it's nothing like what I've ever expected to be. And, it's nice. It, it is good. Like, like you keep saying, you know, how good can it get? Well, you know, yeah. even the bad things seem to do really have turned out favorable. Yeah, that's good when you can, and that takes stepping back sometimes to see, because the bad things often seem like, really? Is this necessary? Why? Um, <laughs> but then sometimes we can see, like, okay, because... We wanted all these other people to come on board and they had to jump in the mud puddles and throw the snowballs and get in the muck and like, okay, and now they've seen that and are they learning? And maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel hopeful, like you do, for humanity, where I I didn't feel that way three years ago. Wow. That's a huge shift. Uh, I thought we were just going to destroy ourselves and that would be it. There's too much good here. I mean, that would be a total tragedy. That's unacceptable to me. It's like, no, we got to come through this. We got to come through better than ever. You know, there's so much possibility here. And when we all ask how good can it get, it can be heaven on earth. It can be amazing. Because (laughs) it's like you'll have all the best food, the best music, the best art, the best creativity. It can be totally amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing we really have to do to achieve that is learn how to control our minds. Yeah, and not turn to computers or AI to yeah. do that for us. That That's not their role. It's not what they should be doing. So personally, I'm, you already know how I'd probably vote for implants in the brain. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Elon Musk. He's great, but um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe for some people, but this should not be like a thing. And we don't need to be transhumanized. Um, 
I know some people say we already are, and I'm not going to get into all that either. But, and, and that's an interesting thing, too. It's like, in a way, we might be, because I don't know, I'm not, I, I believe that. I don't not really, I don't believe in Darwinism anymore or anything like that. I think we did come from another species. I think we were created genetically modified by probably some type of other biological entity. Yeah. I, I did I ever mention to you that I was um this is interesting. I don't I hate to bring this up right at the end of the show. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty weird. Something weird happened to me. I know, one of many weird things. In around nineteen eighty seven, right after the harmonic convergence that I thought I was not a part of it. I was all busy with my city bank. I was working for a financial corporation, project manager, busy by day, ten hour days, you know, fast track to the VP level and all that good stuff. <laughs> However, at night, I had a I had a lucid dream one night where I was given uh, what turned out to be a job interview. This being was just asking me choose the best cabbage, like at a vegetable stand. So I pick one. He says, good, come with me. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and it was I was just surrounded by all these beings. They were basically extraterrestrials. It was a huge consortium of maybe a thousand beings. And I was a part of the team on quality assurance, too. And I asked, what are we doing? And there was a little presentation describing the goals and the mission of the whole thing. So the Global Human Mind Redesign Project. And it was this the year, 1987 right after the harmonic convergence, like a month or two later. And I was just involved for a couple of weeks. Um, my job was quality assurance to try on these new mind designs, which were to take the hive, you know, like in, like I love ants, I love bees, to take that hive mind mm -hmm. and bring it into the human mind, bring them together. And, then, and so each of the races, like you'd have a reptilian version and a beetle version and a an Andromedan version, Pleiadian version. Those are great. Those are like, yes, yes. Um, uh, not the reptilian and the beetle. Those were fails. And, and it, my job was deliver the fail message and explain why. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> the people I want to talk to, that you know, the ones I want to say, you failed. They're nice. They, they're passing. I have to say they, me? Like, yes, you. Like, oh, no. So that was what I was doing, and it was freaking me out big time. <laughs> but um, many, many years later, I now look back with fondness on the whole experience, and I'm glad, because right after that, we got the Indigo Kids. Mm -hmm. We got the Crystal Kids. We got the kids who seemed to come in knowing and being so tuned in and aware and connected. And I feel like, yeah, I saw those prototypes. I tried them on. They were great. I loved them. I mean, and the ones that were rejected, they, they got sent back. They did not get rolled out. Do not release that. <laughs> so I'm just agreeing with you. From what I've seen, you're right. I would say yes. Which I know that flies in the face of what a lot of people believe. But from my experience, it's another freaky thing. But it looks like that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, for me, it just almost just seems logical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the best explanation. Right. I can't think of a better one. Yeah, it doesn't. I, yeah, exactly. It's, al it's almost Occam's razor at this point. Yes, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Um, so it's been a pleasure having you back on. And Thank before you. we wrap it up, though, where can people find you? Find your books. Yes, my website is realityshifters.com, and that's best way to stay in touch with me. You can sign up for the newsletter. I publish that monthly. 
usually with updates about what's going on, and I'm involved with the International Mandela Effect Conference. We just had our big conference in Connecticut live, and we hope to do that again next year. Looks like Tennessee in November. We'll have details soon. That website is imec.world. Those are the two big ways, but my main website is realityshifters.com. All right. I'll put links to both of those in the notes of this episode, and it's been a pleasure having you. Oh, thanks so much, Gary. <laughs> You're welcome. My pleasure, too. And with that, I'm going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Recording stopped. Uh, I didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>